Thanks. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you for having me back. Uh, if anything I say is useful, wonderful. If it's not, don't worry about it. So, tradition eight, short form. Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centres may employ special workers. Long form. Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. We define professionalism as the occupation of counselling alcoholics for fees or higher, but we may employ alcoholics where they're going to perform those services for which we may otherwise have to engage non-alcoholics. Such special services may be well recompensed, but our usual 12-step work is never to be paid for. So, some of the early traditions talk about the group. <clears throat> it expands it here. It talks about Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't talk about groups in particular. But as with everything, I, I like to apply this as broadly as possible. So this works for me at an individual level, at a group level, at the level of AA as a whole, any entity within AA, like an area or a district, just applies across the board. And the essence of it just looking at the wording seems to be a couple of things that there should be no financial recompense for counselling alcoholics or for 12-step work. Now it's interesting, um, sometimes people say I don't give advice in AA. I'm very glad people gave me advice, otherwise I would have had to have followed my own best thinking. So absolutely people, but, it, but the status of that advice is not the status necessarily of, of advice one gets outside AA. When I when I take advice in AA, it's under my responsibility. So the person that gave me the advice is not responsible for the outcome of me following it. I've got to exercise due diligence. Yeah. But anyway, that's a side point. Um, Counselling alcoholics um, and 12-step uh, work. And it talks about fee or hire. Um, what I've been shown about this is a, a fee is where someone pays me to carry the message to, to a third party. Hire is where the person themselves who wants help pays would pay me for the help. So it, it's banning any of those, regardless of who the recipient is and who the payer is. Um, and I think the best motto for Tradition 8 is a very good speaker called Dr. Paul O, who wrote the chapter in the third edition, um, Dr. Alcoholic Addict, and in the fourth edition, uh, Acceptance was the answer. He, there's some very good tapes of him talking at the usual websites, and he talks about doing things for fun and for free, expecting nothing in return. Um, certainly nothing in return from the individual. I mean, I get something from God, which is continued maintenance on the planet, but nothing from the individual. And this gives me a little, uh, I think there's a little framework for what I give in AA. And I want to quote Dr. Bob from Dr. Bob's Nightmare, where he says he does what he does. In other words, try to help other alcoholics. Uh, firstly, to pay the debt uh, to the person who carried the message to him. Secondly, as insurance against a slip. Thirdly, um, 
uh, I think. Let me get the book. I don't want to misquote it. I think there's something about moral obligation in there. Let me just check. Um, where are you? Yeah, sense of duty, he puts it. That's how he puts it. The duty to the people who are coming in now. And, and it's a pleasure, he also says. So at worst, I do what I do in AA. I've been sober since 24th of July 1993 and a lot of my life today, I mean, I have a job and everything, but um, a lot of my life revolves around recovery related activities. Um, at worst, I'm doing it in enlightened self-interest. It's a phrase from Don Pritz, which means I know which side of my bread is buttered. I want to stay sober and thrive, I've got to do this. Now, that's not the best motivation in the world, but it will do. <laughs> Failing all else, you know, working the programme, having it absolutely at the centre of my life is, uh, make, well, it makes sense. It's, it's where the smart money is. Uh, when I was new, they used to say, Life is what happens in between meetings. Um, and it is true, my sponsor's always talking about a much more important demonstration of our principles, lives and our respective homes, occupations and affairs. So it's not that I'm to neglect any of those, um, but the way here on a Monday morning I see things is that my basic default position is that I rest in God and then I go and do stuff and then I come and rest in God and then I go and do stuff and this is in like this is not goody two-shoes this is enlightened self-interest I cannot bear the burden of carrying the whole world I cannot have my reliance on anything outside of myself uh, and it's just like with alcohol it talks about an increasing sensitivity and i've become over the last 27 years <clears throat> increasingly sensitive to self-will and self-reliance to the point that even relatively small amounts of self-reliance become so toxic I, I can't stand it i don't know if it's if it's they've become more toxic or i'm just less tolerant of the state i used to live in the whole time anyway so enlightened self-interest is is that's my baseline uh, slightly better than that is a, obedience to the program uh, as a matter of principle, making the decision to ob ob obey the higher power. Uh, and I get that from um, Dennis F. He talks about in his wonderful step tradition and, and concepts worksheets from the 1970s and early 80s. Um, he talks about obedience. Um, and Bill, I think Bill W. talks about obedience as well. If if we don't obey the principles of the traditions, we'll end up drinking again. So it's, there's definitely a principle there. But the ideal thing is enthusiasm, which is having joy within. And Dr. Paul O. talks about this as well. So basically, in joyous engagement in the activity for its own sake. And if I'm not joyously engaging in it, I'm I'm the one that is blocking the flow from the higher power. So Emmett Fox talks about 
a girl who's trying to water the garden and no water is coming out of the hose pipe. And the father says, you're standing on the hose pipe. That's why. And I've spent most of my life standing on the hose pipe, blaming God for the fact there is no water coming out of the hose pipe. Um, and, and, you know, I'm such a dummy. I don't realize I'm the one that's blocking it. How am I blocking it? By sitting on my little throne, judging everything as good or bad. I don't know if you're at the end of the day over there. I don't know if you've noticed anything today and decided it is good or it is bad. This is good. This is bad. This is good. This is bad. 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 This is good. This is bad. And it's called eating of the apple of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So this is what banishes me from the Garden of Eden is when I sit there as though God has said, can you please judge everything for me today? I haven't got time to judge everything. So you need to judge everything as good or bad. And, and you need to react very badly against anything you judge as bad. I haven't been asked to do that. That was, you know, the serpent asked me to do that. Um, um, in A Course in Miracles, it, I'm going so off-piste here. I'm so sorry, but there we go. Um, in A Course in Miracles, it talks about um, oh no, I've forgotten what I was going to say. Um, oh yeah, that's it. In, in the Garden of Eden, it says Adam fell into a great sleep. It never says anywhere that he woke up. So when I'm in that, when I'm in that state of things which are good and things which are bad and constantly scanning and monitoring for bad in particular, you know, is anything threatening me? Is anything threatening me? It's like I have this program running the whole time looking for things which are threatening me and then jumping like I've got an electric shock when I find something that appears to threaten me like an email coming in oh my god what's it gonna say um you know in a work context I know you're probably all very calm at work but I occasionally react emotionally to incoming emails um And that sleep um, is what the program is supposed to wake me up from. When it says on page 67 that other people like us were sick, um, sometimes that's a, I don't think it's the best written line because it can encourage me to look down on other people and also view the world negatively with judgment, sick and well, they're loaded terms. Asleep and awake is pretty good though. So when people are behaving badly on page 67, they like us were asleep. Now, okay, now that's something that's non-judgmental. So the enth enthusiasm and the zeal is something I wake up to. So I've got to wake up to three things. I've got to wake up to the fact the higher power is surrounding me at all times and that's all there is. Secondly, that I am love and everyone else is love as well. Even, well, let's not name names, but even, you know, whoever is, is you know, made of love. Uh, you have to squint sometimes, but you'll see it. It's there. And I have to wake up to my purpose, which is to wake up. <laughs> so waking up, I've, I've, I've achieved the purpose and then to help others wake up. So that's the ideal enthusiasm and zeal um but i can fall back to obedience 
when that doesn't work, when that's just not there. And I can fall back to enlightened self-interest um, when obedience, uh, when I can't muster obedience for its own sake. Um, so the employment of alcoholics, the where I'm aware of it in Great Britain, <clears throat> we've got various AA offices where alcoholics are employed. We also get people who are employed to do or contracted to do ad hoc roles, so producing videos, coding for websites or apps. And although the tradition says we may employ alcoholics where they're going to perform those services for which we may otherwise have to engage non-alcoholics, with lots of those jobs, like the person at the general service office who organises the conference, I think they're in AA. I, I think most of the people in the office are in AA because it really helps to understand it and not to have to have really basic stuff explained. So it often makes sense. This kind of goes outside the tradition, but it does make sense to have AA people like the general secretary and the telephone office managers. Um, and I've seen instances of AAs doing work for nothing for AA. As long as everyone is, as long as everyone is happy with it, it's fine. There should be, never be any obligation. And so I've seen people who are auditors in AA, like uh, just as part of their service to, to audit the accounts of a convention or something. And they're not issuing a formal audit opinion. They're just informally reviewing the accounts on behalf of the region or whatever. Uh, lawyers who, who give informal opinions, a bit of, bit of guidance to help a region or an intergroup uh, ask the right questions of, of the actual lawyers. Um, but there should never be any reliance on that because uh, it's like, you know, when you, you get a tea person who buys lots of very extravagant cakes and biscuits and snacks and things and then says, you know, oh, I, I won't put any, I don't want any money for that. No, I don't want that. And then they rotate out, someone else comes in and they start asking for expenses because they can't afford to fund the tea and coffee themselves. And then the group suddenly discovers it's it's not been collecting enough money as it's been going along to cover what it's become accustomed to in terms of refreshments and so on. So it's important uh, to be very careful about doing things for nothing for AA, which where it's things which are normally uh, someone would normally be employed. Uh, and a, a good example is coding for apps and things, to, to, because then you you become terribly reliant on that individual. And the region, for instance, which has got Intergroup, which has got its own app, is not getting used to the fact it has to be fully self-supporting. So tradition seven and eight are really linked. Um, if we're not hiring people to do work which should be hired, which people should be hired to do. We're not getting a true view of what it means to be fully self-supporting. We're becoming over-reliant on the contribution of a few members. Because that can be worth hundreds of pounds or even thousands of pounds of someone's time. So, uh, and I've seen problems arise because of that. So an example um, was an app where there was no budget to continue funding the person to look after it and the person who'd been looking after it had been looking after it for years was no longer attending the region it was it became very very difficult if it had been properly funded from the beginning with hiring someone to do it 
the, the problems wouldn't have arisen in the same way. Um, well recompensed, it talks about this being well recompensed. Uh, and that's, I think, for, for lots of very obvious reasons. It's the moral thing to do. Uh, it means that if you pay someone properly, you can ask them to do things. Um, if you're if you're underpaying them, you feel nervous about asking them to do things or go above and above, above and beyond. Um, and also, it's part of the fully self-supporting thing of having. So this is, again, another link between seven and eight. So in in tradition seven, if a venue is subsidizing a meeting, you end up with a, an invisible obligation towards the venue. And it's the same here. If you're not paying someone enough, they're giving something to you and there is an invisible obligation to give something to them back. Uh, Another aspect of this, it's kind of related, is uh, pay, paying people's expenses for travel to um, uh, conferences, for instance. I mean, you know, formal AA conferences. I don't mean that, you know, the jamborees and the so-called Woodstocks and all of those. I, I mean, the, the, the service conferences and intergroup meetings. I know in parts of Australia, you have to, people have to travel hundreds of miles or, or, or more perhaps to go in. And one must fund that, otherwise it excludes people from service. And that's just, that's just, that, that really comes under the, the heading of tradition eight. You're not asking for something for nothing. Um, what else have we got? Um, so application in sponsorship. I mentioned this before. Um, I don't like to receive anything back from sponsees. I think I mentioned it last week that it, there's a sting. There's often a sting in the tail. Um, so even coffee or dinner it, with some people, if we would meet at a particular time, we would take turns. But we were very strict about taking turns, and the person wasn't a newcomer. I would never do that with a newcomer. Um, don't encourage gifts by accepting them. Um, Occasionally, I've been given a small value item by someone and they've already bought it and it's personalized in some way, like a, someone buys you a book and there's a little inscription on the inside. And, you know, dear so and so, thank you for being, thank you for sponsoring me or whatever. And I'm always very torn in those situations because it would be very churlish to refuse the gift. Um, but as I said last week, there's almost always a sting in the tail. It, uh, sooner or later, something comes back and slaps you in the face. Um, with the sponsees where I've had real trouble, at some point in the past, there was usually a breaching of the boundary of formality. Like every sponsor I've ever had has said sponsorship business is business. They were all very different temperaments, but they all use that single phrase, business is business. So I'm very cautious, even in situations where it would be difficult. So um, it's a good idea to let people know in advance before you start sponsoring them. By the way, no gifts, even small ones, not even a pencil sharpener. Um, and what can happen if 
Okay, so the flow must be from me to the sponsee. And yes, I get something back, but it's not from them, it's from the higher power. As soon as the relationship is contaminated in any way, by even, even friendship coming back, it says in the big book that we offer them friendship or fellowship, but that's after they've turned down our offer of sponsorship. It's very interesting that it doesn't say you become your, you know, the best pal of your sponsee. And the reason for this is, I mean, I've sponsored, I don't know, 300, between three and 400 people over the last 10 years. And um, my sponsor does not think that's enough, by the way. <laughs> so um, there are some common, if you sponsor enough people, you'll see patterns regularly enough to recognize that they're part of the deal. They're part of what happens if you sponsor a bunch of people. And this and what I'm about to say is why it needs to be kept business as business, not having anything coming back, um, not having any um, the relationship contaminated with with other transactions. Most sponsees, especially the ones who who are kind of goody two shoes for a while, the ones who do everything and have this spectacular spiritual awakening, start to sponsor other people somewhere between one year and two years after completing step nine and really getting into doing you know the work with others um we have what we refer to as the teenage years and communication stops and there's this whole i've got it from here and they don't like coming to your home group anymore um there's all sorts of weird jostling that happens in group conscience meetings that like the pattern just happens again and again and again. And it's like, oh, this, this again. Um, and normally the person gets through it unscathed, but it can happen in particular where the sponsorship relationship becomes too parental or too much like friendship. Now the parental side of it is almost impossible to avoid if they're like under if they're under 25 some especially the one, I mean, anyone who's come in under 25 probably or may not necessarily have have had the best role models at home which is why they ended up crashing and burning you know by the age of 19 and if i hadn't had parental figures in aa uh, in my first few years i would have been in i, I wouldn't have made it but the job is to make sure that that parenting role is spread out amongst a whole bunch of people so that you, then the person is not reliant on you. Um, goody two-shoes sponsees will often want special treatment or a special position. Look how well I'm doing this compared to other people. There's a weird expectation that, that can creep in there. Um, People can get bitter and jealous if that special treatment doesn't arise. Um, and I've mentioned this before, um, that some of us have a tiny problem with authority figures. Police, teachers, parents, rabbis, God, uh, the government, um, you know, some people look up at the sky and see vapor trails and know that they are out to get them, whoever they are. They are out there and they are hostile. 
you know, authority figures. The people are in the people in charge cannot be trusted. And so, when I look at the world and I say people can't be trusted, I'm probably saying I didn't trust my parents when I was seven, and I've never quite gotten over it. And it keeps getting played out now. <laughs> Um, and that can get played out with sponsorship. And it's so it's for all of the I mentioned those because it's for all of those reasons that I need to keep this very business like and make sure that an excessive attachment, either positive or negative, doesn't arise. Otherwise, the role is is contaminated and compromised. Um, And I think it's important to uh, recognize that although my sponsor has been indispensable, my current sponsor has been indispensable, um, that what I've got from him has actually come from the higher power. He's the channel for it. He's not the source. And my sponsor said to me a few years ago, never mistake gratitude for the benefits of the program for personal gratitude. So when a sponsor is grateful, you see, this is part of this non-professionalism. What has this got to do with Tradition 8? Um, uh, is not, even though people can be grateful, that's fine. It's very nice. But I don't take gratitude personally. If I do, I'm accepting something back for what I've given to them. So obviously, once, you know, you're very polite. When people say thank you very much, you say, well, you're welcome any time so you don't you don't rebuff it but i don't let it through the membrane onto the inside uh, because their gratitude is towards the higher power and the program i can't if i'm taking responsibility for what they've got out of the program i'm breaching tradition 12 the principle of anonymity um, so we're not the substitute for the higher power as I've said before, I'm, you know, I'm not the food, I'm not the chef, I'm the dinner lady. That's all. Um, and if we position ourselves as the source, first of all, they're always going to get bitter because we're going to disappoint them at some point. So that's why I'm redirect to God, redirect to God, redirect to God, redirect to God. And this is set out in the big book, I think, on page 98. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamours for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. So that's why I'm very careful not to allow uh, dependence on me and to redirect the whole time. Which means don't do for them what they can do for themselves. Push back. If they ask you to do something, like someone said to me the other day, uh, they asked a question, blah, 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 blah. And I said, the answer, this is someone that's been in AA for a long time. I said, the answer's in the book. Go and look it up. They said, what page? Oh, <laughs> oh, so I'm to take time out of my day to find the page for you so that you can get on with something more important. Oh, I'm your page finder now, am I? <laughs> really? <laughs> That's putting our work on a service plane. 
that's an example of it. If I do something for them, they can do for themselves. Um, and I mentioned this before. Uh, I've got one sponsee who's a friend, but that's it's such a, an exceptional circumstance. And it's to do with the history of how the, the sponsorship came about and the friendship came about. Uh, every other time it's it's blown up. So I don't do it anymore. I keep friends over here, sponsees over there, ne'er the twain shall meet. Partly so I can say, so if I want friendship back, that's part of the payment. If I'm being paid for the sponsorship in friendship, I'm going to get frightened. I will lose the friendship. I will lose their respect. I will lose their, you know, they're going to start bitching about me at meetings. And it stops me from saying what I need to say. And... So I've got to be very careful of um, siding too readily with my sponsee's point of view. And I've done this in the past. I've, I've co-signed because I like the person. I've co-signed. I've identified. I like them. I identify with them. I co-sign their victim stance in a particular situation. And it doesn't do anyone any good. I need to be detached enough to not get emotionally involved um jim willis always says and chuck chamberlain that uh you've if you get emotionally involved in the problem you're sunk you need to rise above the problem and that's true of problems in the world problems in politics uh problems and everything i need to be above the problem if i'm going to be part of the solution um there's another point as well to do with step five and professionalism. The reason step five works is because the other person isn't being paid to be nice. Um, so when I've had therapists in the past and professionals who've been trying to help me, because it's their job to be nice to me, I don't know if they're being nice because they're being nice or they're being nice because it's in their financial benefit to be nice and continue to have me as their ward, their charge, their patient, their uh, whatever. So when I've taken step five and the person still wants to have contact with me afterwards, that means a lot. And that's the big healing thing uh, in step five. It's not, although this might be some analysis, basically it's about revealing everything and realizing you're okay because the other person is okay with you. Um, there's another aspect as well which I find very interesting, um, non-professionalism in the non-financial sense. So one of the aspects of not being a professional is that I'm my best is good enough. So at work, sometimes I do my best and it's not good enough for madam or monsieur who is at the end of the, uh, you know, end of the, the, the other end of the transaction. You know, you do your best and it's still not good enough. That's the professional world. Not very much fun. In AA, whatever I'm capable of is good enough. Doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement, room for a debrief afterwards if something has gone wrong. Doesn't mean there isn't room to go to the higher power. But it does mean that my best is always good enough. It means I don't need to judge myself against professional standards or perform to professional standards. Whatever I'm available whatever I'm available to offer is enough. And if someone doesn't like it, they're very welcome to go somewhere else. So all I need to do is act in good faith. Also, 
And this is such an important thing that I get to sponsor people and carry the message in the way that suits me. I, or I mean, suits me, suits my higher power as my higher power is directing me. In a profession, you have to comply with someone else's standards. You have to live up to, you know, the work has to be standardized in some way. In AA, it doesn't need to be. We don't all need to do it the same way. I'm allowed to sponsor the way I feel guided to sponsor. And again, if people don't like it, they can they can reject the offer. And that's absolutely fine. It also means um, there is no complaints procedure. Um, <laughs> a friend of mine says um, uh, you can uh, and pardon my French for what I'm about to say, but you can always email complaints at flyingfuck.com. Um, my sponsor suggests that any sponsees of mine who don't like my sponsorship are perfectly welcome to contact him and let him know what my character defects are so that he can be a more effective sponsor of me. And a couple of people have taken him up on that, let me tell you. Um, we laughed. Um, <laughs> they didn't try it twice. That's all I would say about that. Um, <laughs> It's not because I'm a perfect sponsor, and that's the other point. You know, I'm I'm really I'm I'm not easy to have as a sponsor. I'm not an easy person, and I'm getting I'm better than I was, but you know, it's a, a long way to go. The only disciplinary authority is the higher power. You know, there's no external board. Uh, Clancy's very funny about this. He talks about um, um. Uh, you know, people phoning up the telephone office in LA saying there's someone in a downtown meeting in Los Angeles who's killing newcomers with his suggestions. <laughs> um, and he says about, this is another Clancy thing, he says he's accused of being a dictatorial sponsor. And he says, it's a fine dictatorship if you say, if you'll pardon my French, fuck you, and the dictatorship is now over. That's not a dictatorship. You can leave whenever you want. But there are, it's got to be clear to my sponsees that if they stop being my sponsee, they're still totally welcome at my home group. There's no implicit sense that the sponsorship is tied to the home group or to anything else. And part of the part of what guarantees that freedom is anonymity with sponsorship so i don't tell people who i sponsor i mean sometimes it you know people work it out and people talk and whatever but i don't tell people and if a sponsor is is speaking at a meeting you know from the floor i don't say oh and i've watched you since you came in and you've done so well and it's been such a pleasure to sponsor you all of that, none of that crap and vice versa you know uh when my sponsor uh, is, you know, if my sponsor was speaking, I would not do the same. I would not reveal to the room that this is my sponsor, so that we're all on a level playing field. Um, what else is there? Um, so the only authority. This is this comes from the concepts. The only authority is whoever delegates the job to me. So. It's the higher power, even though someone asks me to sponsor, 
is the higher power who delegates the job to me. And so it's up to my higher power to censor me, to redirect me, to reorganize or replace. Those are the four things that a delegating authority can do. Censor, redirect, reorganize or replace. So when there are problems in the sponsorship, although I will obviously listen to, you know, if a sponsor is upset and doesn't like how it's working, I'll listen. Of course I'll listen. But I'm accountable to the higher power, not to them. Um. And also we're all, this is the other thing about non-professionalism. Every profession has a structure, hierarchy, and there's no structure or hierarchy in sponsorship. It's, it's, we're all, there's just sponsor and sponsee. There aren't super sponsors. There aren't newcomer sponsors. There's, there's just sponsors. I remember that old Frank once a year would say something that would make me prick my ears up. I won't tell you what the rest of the year was like, but anyway, once a year, he was he was great. I liked him. I, I still like him. But he says he hears about this thing in AA. Men sponsor the men and women sponsor the women. How about alcoholics sponsor alcoholics? What about that as a slogan? And I thought, I like that. Now, this sense in the men and for the men and women for the women. So I'm not having a, a go at that. But um, I like the sense that this is not there isn't, you know, there isn't a hierarchy or a structure here. And there are no experts. So there are some people with more experience and understanding and effectiveness than others, but that's acquired over time. There isn't. Um, you can have a super effective sponsor who's like six months sober or three months sober because it's the higher power working through them. And God draws straight lines with broken pencils. So even if the pencil is broken, you still get a perfect result. Um, Okay, so here's now here's the vexed question in Tradition 8. Is it okay to work in the recovery industry, stroke treatment industry, um, you know, as a counsellor of alcoholics? This is such a common thing. Now, according to the tradition, yeah, it's fine to counsel alcoholics as long as it's not linked to AA, as long as you're not doing it under an AA banner. I mean, if you're being paid, that is, you don't do it under an AA banner. But experience, since the tradition was written, has revealed a few problems. Um, and lots of, I've, I can't tell you how many sponsees or friends I've had who've had problems because of this. Now, it doesn't mean the problems can't be solved, but it doesn't mean they're not there. Just because the problem can be solved doesn't mean that it isn't a problem. And it doesn't mean that the problem can necessarily be solved in that individual. I, I've seen cases where people have just had to back out of the whole treatment industry for some of the reasons I'm going to share with you. It's very difficult to draw a firm line between AA experience and everything else to, to, to not bring everything you've learned in AA into another domain and be paid for it. Uh, now, I teach at a university which sounds grander than it is. Um, they put me in front of a bunch of people and I talk and I go away again. That's what I do. Um, occasionally do a bit of marking. And I do a, I do a lecture, a two or three hour lecture every year on um, was it stress management, time management and self-care. Um, and anyone who I sponsor will will snort at the idea that someone has asked me to 
talk about self-care, given how derisive I am of the term within AA. Um, only I, I just say as a footnote, only because sometimes people say I'm not sponsoring anyone at the moment because self-care. Uh, you know that kind of that kind of stuff so obviously you know have a bath and everything you know go to the cinema occasionally buy some asparagus but sometimes the self-care thing gets used to justify basically doing no service and you know doing what you want whenever you want to do it anyway that's a whole that's a little bugbear of mine anyway so i do this little course and some some aa stuff and spiritual stuff gets brought into that now, it's not in a recovery domain, so I, I feel fine doing that. If it was in a recovery domain, I don't think I could do that talk. Um, it's in a non-recovery domain, so I'm fine with it, even though I'm using lots of stuff I've learned in AA, lots of spiritual stuff. Something that um, I've seen in sponsees, if they spend all day talking to alcoholics and drug addicts and trying to encourage them and help them in all sorts of ways even in a non-12 step sense just in a you know as part of their job working for the treatment center or as a psychologist or psychiatrist so a, a psychologist or, or psychotherapist not psychiatrist psychotherapist helping largely alcoholics and addicts um what i've what they've reported to me time and time again is boredom cynicism and that loss of enthusiasm because the day job is the same as the as the nighttime it's avocation um i've had sponsees um who are who as part of their work for some kind of treatment place have to talk about the aa program and they have to adulterate the program with other other beliefs and practices i sometimes religious practices as well there's a, there can be a problem there whether people are, are, are sort of forced, as it were, in their professional capacity to combine the religion with with the spirituality of AA. Um, another thing people have reported is the professional stance they have to adopt with the individual in question reduces the efficacy that with the same type of person, they actually have much more success while stepping them in an AA context than they have trying to help them in the professional context because of having to keep that incredibly firm barrier in place. Um, I've seen professionals, uh, people who work in the treatment industry, uh, so, some are good as gold. So you hear them speak from the podium or do a talk, you would have no idea that they run a treatment center or are a psychotherapist that helps people with eating disorders or whatever. Just no idea. It's beautifully done. Uh, and so I don't know how they do it. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Hooray. I have heard people bring in their, try to present themselves as being a greater authority in AA because of the professional expertise. So I'm a therapist, so what I say is therefore more valid. And I mentioned this before, um, someone who uh, spoke and said um, that uh, AA won't help with low self-worth, but therapy is the answer for that. Now that's a view. He may be right. I don't know. But that's what he said. And he managed to squeeze into the talk in another part of the talk that he happened to be a therapist that helps people with 
low self-worth. There we go. So it's mixing, the t that stuff does get mixed sometimes. So people can, whether it's, and whether it's done intentionally or not, I don't know what his motivation was. I, I don't know the person. I know, know, I know the person only a little. So I'm not, but the appearance can be given that something that the out that, that the outside profession is being advertised within AA. I've had sponsees completely burn out doing this, like spending all day working with alcoholics and addicts, getting home, having to answer five sponsee phone calls, go to a meeting. Um, and the last thing that people, and it, all of this section is all about stuff that very people I've been very close to have reported to me. That's the, the only status this has. Uh, so what you do with this is up to, up to you. As I say, there are success stories here as well. I'm just reporting some of the difficulties. Um, one difficult, the last difficulty that people have reported is because they work in the treatment end industry and they're dealing with hundreds and over the years, thousands of alcoholics and addicts. Um, there's nowhere they can go where they can be the person that doesn't know anything because they, they spend all day being the person who's paid to know everything. And then they have to come to AA and be the person that doesn't know anything and they can't bridge the gap. So they're up now. They, these are not prohibitive. This is not about, you know, don't work in the treatment industry. I'm just citing the problems to be aware of. Um, uh, because people come a cropper with this. Um, a couple of tips uh, I've got from friends of mine about uh, how to do this safely is don't do jobs that require core AA activities. So actual 12th stepping or actual taking people through the steps. If as part of the treatment center activity, they want you to do a step workshop, uh, you take your hat off, uh, you do it on your own time and you make sure that the punters know that you are now acting in your own capacity, not as representative or employee of the facility and you wear different clothes. You don't wear your work, you know, people actually physically change their clothes, wear something much more relaxed to do that so that people know that they're talking in a different capacity. Um, and the last thing is to uh, uh, keep a boundary between the AA stuff and everything else, but keep the AA stuff going as though you didn't have the day job in treatment. Some people come a cropper because this is friends of mine that report this again, uh, because they do less AA because they're doing all of the treatment stuff during the day. And that's there can be a danger in that. I'm going to mention a few things about Tradition 8 in life. So this is the Dr. Paul O. I've really talked about it already, but I'm just going to go into more detail. So applying Tradition 8 in my life to give of myself for fun and for free. If it's not for free, it's not for fun. Uh, if it's not for free, uh, I think as Churchill said to someone, we now know what you are, madam. We're just haggling about the price. Um, so that's the thing. I'm not for sale. 
if I am doing something to get something back, I'm now for sale. And we're just haggling about the price. My identity is established. And this is supported in the big book. One of my favourite lines um, from page 128, giving rather than getting will become the guiding principle. Now, if I get something back, to recognise that it comes, although I express gratitude in the material realm towards them, what I'm getting is coming from God. It's not coming from my efforts or from your efforts. The higher power is invoked and then it comes through you because of how I'm interacting with you. But there's a danger of self-reliance when things go well to take the credit for it. So I've always got to give the credit to God. Uh, there's an image that gets used in different traditions of giving from abundance. And what this means is um, if you have the image of an overflowing pot or an overflowing fountain, my job is just to be the overflowing pot or the overflowing fountain. And then if people want to take the spare water that's flying out of the top of the fountain, that's up to them. This is different than how the world operates, where if I give you a physical item in the world, I have less of it. If I give you my cabbage, I'm now one cabbage down. Um, the kind of giving that we get in AA, um, that we get to practice in AA, it's like the flow comes from God out of me towards you. So anything I give you is actually encouraging the flow. I'm not weaker or poorer for it that's very important if i'm if i feel drained or poorer for what i've given it means i've been giving from me not from the excess abundance i'm getting from god and there's something wrong there that's and that's a sign of self-reliance if i'm tired i've been self-reliant and i've been really tired recently so i must have been really self-reliant i know that now I know it's not to do, it's not to do with anything going on outside of me, it's to do with me. Um, other points in relationships, stop counting what you, this is the advice that was given to me, stop counting what you get back, who said it should be 50-50, where did that idea come from? Did the person who suggested that relationships are 50-50 did they have a good marriage? Oh, you don't even know if they were married. Okay, good. Now we've got that one clear. Um, and I mentioned this before, but it's worth saying again. Dr. Paul O talking about if you try and give 50-50 in a marriage, you give your 50, it looks like 30% to your other half. And the same works the other way around. So you don't get 50 plus 50 equals 100, you get 30 plus 30 equals 60, and you're, you're both in deficit. So my aim is to give fully of myself for fun and for free, expecting nothing in return, hoping that from the other person's point of view, it looks like 50 or, or slightly above, and then we're fine. So my um, great concessions to the other person, from his point of view, look like me seeing sense. I think it's some great yielding or flexibility. For him, it's the first sign he's had in six weeks of a shred of sanity. So all of lots of what I'm giving is not it, all I'm giving up actually when I'm giving sometimes is my my sense of entitlement and my insane rules and demands. Um, 
in work. So tradition eight in, uh, oh, oh, this is the other thing. Sometimes people don't want to give, like give up basically their lives for the other person. There's that thing from Fiddler on the Roof where, you know, he says to her, do you love me? She says, do I love you? I've, I've been cleaning and doing your laundry and making your meals for 30 years. If that's not love, what is? And I love that because if I have a problem basically giving up my life for the other person, I'm with the wrong person. Um, if they're not worth me giving up my life for them, why am I with them? So, um, the job is to find someone whose life is appears to be so valuable that this is worth me giving things up for. Um, in work, I'm not paid by my clients, I'm paid by God. Now, doesn't mean I don't sue my clients, but I'm suing my clients on behalf of God, not on my own account. Uh, someone asked a rabbi, do you forgive or do you sue? And he said, first you forgive, then you sue. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Um, and the important thing about being paid by God is it means I don't need to compromise my ethical standards because I'm frightened that there won't be enough. Um, Just look at what else I've got. I've got something else written down, but frankly, I have no idea what I meant when I wrote it. So I'm just going to throw that piece of paper away. Uh, we've got a couple more minutes. I'm just going to see if I can find this. It seems to be a question here. Do you think it is wise to sponsor someone? Oh, sorry. Do you think it is wise to sponsor someone in your own workplace where status and hierarchy agendas can be double sided? Oh, Jesus. Um, my first sponsor, my first proper sponsor, I had some improper sponsors for a while. That's, that's, if we ever get onto the 13th step, um, then that's the, that's the discussion then. The slogan for which is let go, let me. Um, it must've been very hot that summer because I, I kept finding sponsors whose clothes kept falling off. It was a terrible, terrible thing. Anyway, my first, my first proper sponsor, Doug, um, uh, he used to, one of his mottos was, um, don't shit where you eat princess. He called me princess. I, no one is entirely sure whether he actually knew my name. Uh, or whether, you know, he was calling me princess for some other reasons, but, but anyway, maybe, uh, did he need to know my name? Not really. Um, so I keep things, uh, I keep things very distinct. I, I won't work with people. I won't contract with people in AA. Um, if I need a contractor to do something, I'll look outside AA. I don't do work for I with one except I did work for someone in AA once I'm I'm and it's fine but it was someone I super super trusted. Um, I don't like that the, the thing has the sponsorship has to be completely clean of other things. Uh, there can't be any dependencies flying around. 
so I wouldn't sponsor someone uh, in my workplace. I would, what, there's a, a little motto. Um, uh, whenever anyone reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA to be there. Um, and for that, I'm responsible, something like that, the responsibility statement. Now, that doesn't mean that whenever anyone asks for help, I am the hand of AA. It means I'm responsible for the hand of AA being there. You might be the hand. So if I've got someone who I'm close to and they need help, I I know a lot of people. I find them. I, I say, here's a list of 12 people. Call them. One of these is bound to help. If they can't find, if they don't like any of those 12, they weren't willing anyway. So I keep things nice and separate so that I can, I can jettison that I can jettison the sponsorship without consequences. They need to be free to leave. But, and this is something I say to sponsees is you're free to leave at any time. You don't even have to tell me you're doing it. You don't even have to explain why. It's fine. But here's the thing, that's true for me too. I'm allowed to leave the relationship. Um, I'm allowed not to disclose my reasons and simply to say, I wish you well on your journey. If you want other contacts, I can give you a gazillion other contacts. I'm not willing to continue. Um, and I wish you well. Uh, because in my experience, explaining doesn't help. So I stopped doing it. So. The point is, I need to be able to, to jettison the relationship without any consequences. So work and <laughs> uh, work, sex and AA are three separate things. <laughs> I keep those nice and separate. I don't mix those. Um, Gabrielle, I'm out of time. I don't know if there are any other questions. Are there any other questions? OK, well, I'm going to stop the recording at this point and I look forward to seeing you next week.